1: We've been exploring this understanding that righteousness has been credited to us instead of something we've done on our own, and we're beginning to see that it's all about faith. Join us. Abounding Grace. Pastor Gary Wagner, next. Credited righteousness, an alien righteousness, the great exchange, as one great theologian put it. Today, we're continuing our look at this righteousness that is credited to us, a righteousness that is somebody else's that is bestowed upon us. And as we take a look at this, we're also looking at baptism and how Romans chapter 4 and Paul's use of Abraham correlates between the two. Join us for an encouraging look at Romans 4 verses 1 through 11. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner in today's Abounding Grace.
2: Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Verse 9, this blessing then. So Paul emphasizes repeatedly the idea that the person who is justified by faith and knows he is justified is a happy man, a happy woman, and this happiness is not a short-lived thing. The word blessed means, oh, so happy. It's not a superficial thing. It's not just when you feel warm, fuzzies all the time. I mean, there are all kinds of times in life when you feel warm and fuzzy, where there's not that kind of smile on your face. Maybe you are dying of cancer, but yet there is this deep, lasting happiness that no tragedy in this world can rob you of. And that happiness is blessedness. That blessed state where you are totally content in God and in God's love and in God's grace, where that blessing of God rests upon every aspect of your life comprehensively and enriches every relationship and activity in your life. That is the consequence that a person actually experiences who has been justified. The split second a person embraces Christ, that split second he becomes a Christian in a right standing with God immediately. There's no waiting period. There's no trial period. Because God has completed our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and there's nothing left to do in order to accomplish the salvation for everyone for whom Christ died. On the cross, He obtained eternal redemption for everyone for whom He died when He died. There's nothing else we need to contribute. There is nothing else we can contribute. And that's why the split second, no matter what you have done up to that point, The split second you believe in Jesus, that moment you become a Christian. That moment God declares you His child. And from that moment on, it is absolutely impossible for you to be lost. Beware of thinking, my friends. This all just seems too simplistic. Surely, I have to pray more reform myself more, read the Bible more before I can say for sure that I am saved. When you think like that, it shows you have not grasped Paul's doctrine and gospel of justification by faith in Christ alone. If you feel like there remains something you must do to really secure your salvation, you have missed the point. Because if you had one million years... It would not be enough if you had to lift one finger for your salvation. Christ has secured eternal salvation for all who believe in Him who justifies the ungodly. There is a hymn in our hymnal that says, Jesus, thy robe of righteousness, my beauty is my glorious dress. midst flaming worlds, Worlds in this, arrayed with joy, shall I lift my head. Bold shall I stand in that great day. For who ought to my change shall lie, my charge shall lay. Fully through thee absolved I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. When from the dust of death I arise to claim my mansion in the skies, this only then shall be my plea. Jesus has lived and died for me there is nothing else that has to be done if you believe in him who justifies the ungodly through Christ you are saved your sins are forgiven and you are adopted into his family and no one can ever separate you from the love of God in the Lord Jesus Christ now we come to another paragraph in the fourth chapter of Romans verses 9 through 12 And it also is vitally important because its point is that salvation is received immediately by faith alone and not by performance of any religious rite or sacrament. So let's take a look at verses 9 through 12 of Romans 4. 9 through 12, Romans 4. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed into them also and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had been yet uncircumcised. What a vitally important text we have here. Now, Before we look at this text, I want to remind you how the New Testament deals with circumcision. Baptism, like circumcision, is called a sign and a seal. Baptism is the seal of righteousness that we have in Christ and a seal of our covenant relationship that we have with God. In the New Testament, baptism is referred to as a seal and the Holy Spirit is referred to as the sealer. In Colossians chapter 2, we see what circumcision symbolized in the Old Testament is now symbolized in baptism in the New Testament. So everyone who had a right to circumcision in the Old Testament, that is, everyone is those males who profess faith in Christ and their dependent sons. They have a right to baptism in the New Testament. That is, those who profess faith in Christ, but now also both male and female, as well as their household, meaning all of their dependents, Can receive baptism. Now, another thing to bear in mind is that earlier in Romans 4, he refers to Genesis 5 6. And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, in the last of this particular paragraph in Romans 4, Paul starts to talk about the circumcision of Abraham. Now, the thing to bear in mind before we go any further is there are 14 years between those two events. There are 14 years between Genesis 15, when Abraham believed in God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and the command of Genesis 17, that Abraham and his descendants be circumcised. Now notice what his part is. It's very powerful. Neither circumcision in the Old Testament nor baptism today contribute anything at all to justification. Though neither is there a liability. That is, he makes the point here. Faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. And when was that? When did Abraham become a believer? And when did God credit to his account the righteousness that he demanded of Abraham? While he was circumcised? Or before he was circumcised? And beloved, that's a very important question. Because if the answer is, "Well, God reckon him as righteous at the time he was circumcised? That would be justification and salvation to the sacrament. So that there would be no salvation apart from the sign of the covenant. Apart from the sacrament, Circumcision. Today, it would be applied this way, that we are reckoned righteous and adopted into God's family in baptism. Therefore, there is no salvation apart from water baptism. So everyone who is baptized with water is then justified by that baptism. But if you're not baptized with water, then you are not justified. That's not what the text says. But there were people in that day who tied to salvation, to circumcision, so they thought that only circumcised people, only the Jews, would be saved. But Paul asked, when was righteousness imputed to Abraham? In circumcision, after circumcision, or before he was circumcised? It was before. In other words, this sacrament contributed nothing to his justification, and that is important. Just like circumcision in the Old Testament contribute nothing to Abraham's justification, baptism contributes nothing to justification. He's already made the point that obedience of any kind to the law of God contributes nothing to justification. Though it plays a major part in sanctification or living the Christian life. Now, he's making a secondary point that salvation is not tied to baptism. Now, that's important in light of the heretical federal vision and the new perspective of Paul and the people who want to speak of baptismal regeneration, that you're made new through baptism. And want to tie being one with Christ and being regenerated and justified and adopted into God's family and all the rest with water baptism. Circumcision has nothing to do with justification, nor does baptism have anything to do with justification. It does not in any way contribute anything to justification. In fact, it presupposes it. Look at what our text says. Because Paul is really drawing a strict line here. Verse 10. How then was it reckoned righteousness? How was he justified? When was he circumcised? When, when he was circumcised? No. While he was uncircumcised? Yes. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. That righteousness might be reckoned to them and the father of circumcision. That is those who were Jewish. To those who not only are of the circumcision but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham which he had while uncircumcised. Paul says there is a relationship between the sacrament of baptism and circumcision and justification. Justification takes place first and these these sacraments contribute nothing to justification but They are signs and seals of justification. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision. And we receive the sign of baptism. A seal of the righteousness, the imputed righteousness of the faith, imputed by faith, which he had while uncircumcised. You see, he's making the point repeatedly here. This righteousness that his faith received, was while he was uncircumcised. It was before he received the sacrament. And yet the sacrament is a sign and a seal of his justification, and it presupposes that his justification has already taken place. Now, what is a sign and a seal? When we define the sacraments, we're to make sure we do it from a God-centered perspective, and not just from a man's centered perspective although there are man-oriented aspects to the sacraments. For instance, the word sacrament was used in the Roman army for the vow a soldier took, committing himself to his commanding officer to fight and die on his behalf. And there is this idea here of the dedication of ourselves and of publicly testifying to the world by means of baptism and the Lord's Supper that we are God's people. But the primary emphasis of the sacrament is God's That is, it's not just a sign that you and I hold up to the world, that we bear Christ's brand, and that we belong to Him. It is a sign that God holds up. And it is that sense that baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs For they are signs in God's hands by which God advertises, like a billboard, the existence and the reality this sign signifies. Baptism by water and the Lord's Supper are signs of a spiritual reality. It is a public advertisement that this sign symbolizes we as believers possess. That is the sign. The sacraments are God preaching to us, believers. That's why no one but believers should take the sacraments. Because God in the sacraments is preaching to his people. There is a reality in these symbols, he says. And if you are my people, you possess that reality. Now a seal takes it a step further. In the old days, a seal on a letter, as we talked about last week, was made of melted wax And the person put his ring with his insignia in that wax, it hardened, and there you have the confirmation that that letter comes from a person whose signature is at the bottom of the letter. And the purpose of the seal is to authenticate, confirm, to guarantee the genuineness of that which is signified. In other words, when you and I, God's people receive the sacraments, there is something spiritual that takes place. And only God's chosen people experience this. So it is not only a sign. It is God declaring to you, you belong to me. And at the same time, it guarantees to believers that God possesses them. It's like God saying in the sacraments, you belong to me and I mean it. And the Holy Spirit seals this to your heart. And that is what the sealing work of the Holy Spirit is, to confirm and to assure you that what is offered in the sacraments you have through faith. The cleansing of sin in baptism, the removal of guilt in baptism, and the nourishment and of faith and new life in Christ that is refurbished and strengthened every time you take the Lord's Supper. But now, whether we are talking about circumcision or whether we're talking about baptism, these signs and seals presuppose in the person being baptized the existence of justification by faith. Notice verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal, a guarantee of the righteousness of the faith that he had while uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be reckoned to them. And the father of circumcision to those who are not only the circumcision, but who follow in the steps of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. And the point is, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, Everyone is accepted with God the same way on the basis of Christ's work and the imputation of the righteousness of his perfect life and atoning death to faith. And that is a gift of God, not of works. So it doesn't matter whether you are Jewish or whether you are a Gentile, we are saved by faith in Christ alone. Therefore, Abraham is our father, not because we have his DNA, Not because we can claim blood kin to him, but because we follow in his steps. Everyone who follows in Abraham's steps of faith is considered to be his son or daughter, and he is their father. So steps of what? Steps of faith. Not steps of behavior, but steps of faith. That everyone who believes as Abraham believed in Jesus Christ and God's methods of salvation alone, God reckons to them righteousness. Now let me make one practical little point here and then I'll close. Verse 11. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised. What is the point I said that meant? that the sacraments, baptism and circumcision, presuppose the possession of justification by faith in the person receiving the sacrament. Now, what that means for us as church members, and for you as parents, is everyone who is baptized by water, by a minister of the gospel, in the name of the triune God, should be assumed by us to be possessors of justification by faith. Unless in their lives they prove themselves otherwise and eventually die in apostasy. That is why, that is the way you are to view your little babies. You ask, how in the world can a little baby be a believer? I don't know. But Jesus says he can. He said it is better for a man to have a millstone put around his neck and be drowned in the sea than to cause one of these little ones who believe in me to perish. David said in Psalm 22 that he had faith while he was nursing from his mother. John the Baptist left for joy in his mother's womb, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you know as well as I do, only believers in Jesus Christ can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So how can these babies have faith? Well, how can you? How can I have faith? By regeneration alone, which is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit who brings to new life whoever and whenever he chooses. So since baptism presupposes that the person being baptized has reckoned to his account justification to his faith in Jesus Christ, that is what we are to assume of everyone who is baptized in this church unless by their apostasy they prove themselves to be otherwise. Now sometimes that can be hard to do particularly when your children are sinners but remember where they got it from also in a lot of fundamental churches there are people who are always saying with reference to some members well i don't believe that person is a christian that person can't be a christian well that's a pretty little pretty arrogant little statement for someone on their own part to say dogmatically don't you think about someone who has been baptized in the name of the triune God, and especially if he is an adult, and his testimony has been deemed credible by the elders. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone who is baptized is in actuality saved. Remember, Judas received the sign of the covenant. Judas was circumcised. And if he had been born in the Christian age, he would have been baptized. But the point is, we are to assume that those who have been baptized belong to God and have had their sins forgiven because they have received justification by faith in Christ alone, and we are to continue to assume them as such, even if they are faulty in their Christian life. After all, Christians are capable of terrible sins. Don't forget David was an adulterer and a murderer, and yet it says he was a man after God's own heart. So just because someone is in the church and not doing what he or she should be doing, we don't automatically say they are not a Christian. We need to watch their life, speak to them on the issues where they may be falling short, See how they respond to counseling, to church discipline, to the ministry of the elders. And then if the body of men that recognize that person's profession of faith credible come to the conclusion that because of some impenitency that they refuse to remove from their life, their testimony is no longer credible, then you can say with fear and trembling, we must treat this person as if they are not a Christian When in actuality, think about this, he or she still may be. Because remember, the prodigal son came home. This is a biblical way of thinking, my friends. But be very careful, brethren. As an individual, how you judge a brother or sister. And understand just how powerful baptism is in the life of a Christian. Oh, it contributes nothing to justification. Nothing. But it is a sign and a seal that should encourage a justified person and reassure him that his sin really is forgiven and he really is adopted into the family of God.
1: 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607.